I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, it's easy to focus on the negative things that are happening in life. You know, I've got something going on in life, and uh, maybe it's a relationship issue or work issue or home or whatever it may be, and that one thing sort of is staring me in the face all the time, and I can't seem to get away from it. And I just think, you know, if I think about this problem and figure it out and deal with the issue, then, you know, what's going to happen is everything's going to be okay, right? If I solve this problem, then everything's going to be all right. But the truth is, once I get that problem solved, guess what happens? Another one takes its place. That's just life, isn't it? I mean, there's never going to be a time when life is problem-free, trouble-free, where all of our issues are solved and we don't have anything to worry about. There will always be something going on. And that's the case for me sometimes, and I just can't seem to get away from some of that stuff. And maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you know today, you're, you're here today and you're struggling with something. might be a financial problem. You know, we say that our country's in the midst of a recovery, but lots of people really haven't felt the effects of that recovery. And maybe you're struggling today because there's a job that's gone and you haven't been able to find another one. Or maybe you found another job, but it pays a lot less than the one you used to have, and so you're struggling to provide for your family. I think that's a pretty common thing. Maybe today you're thinking about retirement or you're in retirement and you're sort of wondering, is my money going to run out before life runs out? And it's a little scary to think, what happens if I run out of money? How am I going to live? Maybe today you're struggling like lots of people in our church over the past year with some difficult diagnosis. Either it's you or it's someone that you really love and you're not sure where that's headed and you're not sure what the next year is going to be like and, and that's just right in your face and you can't get away from it and there it is and you're concerned about it today. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Your marriage is not going like you thought it would. It's not where you want it to be. Maybe, you know, you haven't done what you should do as a spouse or you're disappointed in something your spouse has done and, and that relationship is not right. Or it's your kids and you see them going down this path and they're making some destructive decisions and you've tried to pull them back. You've tried to have influence on their lives and, and tried to bring them back to the place that they need to be, but so far it hasn't worked. And so today you're worried about them. You're worried about where they're headed and what they're going to do, and you're not sure how that's going to work out. So lots of us in the room today may have that problem that's facing us. And as much as we think if we solve that problem, it's going to be okay, the truth is there's always something. But maybe on this Thanksgiving week, as you're looking into this week, you're thinking about Thursday, and you're wondering... How am I going to face that? How am I going to give a day to God of thanksgiving when things just aren't right in my life? How am I going to spend this day thanking God when I just really don't feel like it? You're going to be with some family and maybe things are going great for them and it's going to be a little hard to deal with that because of where they are in life versus where you are in life and it's just a struggle. Now, that's what I want us to talk about today. And as I say that, I can sort of hear some of us thinking, yeah, what he's going to say. He's going to say, give thanks even though there's some stuff you don't like in life. 
And maybe you're also thinking, I get that. Maybe you recognize, yeah, there's this one big problem, but if you really had to, you could sit down and make a list of things that you're really thankful for, and, and you know that list is there. You know God's done some really good stuff, but somehow that's just not that satisfying an answer on this day. Because what seems to be a struggle for you is a problem in your life. It seems to be bigger at the moment than this list of good stuff that's going on. And so for someone like me to stand in a place like this and say, give thanks anyway, just doesn't feel like something you can do. Well, you know, I don't think God's surprised by that. I don't think God's surprised when we take our struggles like this and talk to him about it. In fact, if you read the book of Psalms, what I think you'll see from beginning to end is a group of people who who are singing to God, and sometimes they are praising God and thanking him for all he's done, and they're amazingly blessed, and they express that thanksgiving. And you will also see times when psalmists will say, God, where are you? I mean, I, I expected you to act to help me, and so far, I've seen nothing. Are you there? Are you listening? Are you going to do anything? So I think God can handle our questions and our doubts and our struggles. And maybe we're a little afraid to express that to God, but it's right here in Scripture. But today what I want us to do is turn to to a lesson that we find in the book of Matthew. It's, It's a story that's in Matthew 14. And that's where I want to focus in for just a few minutes. In this story, what we see at the beginning of Matthew 14 is the death of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He's a guy that in many ways is partnered with Jesus in ministry. John goes out and and the Scripture says he prepares the way for Jesus. In other words, he preaches the kingdom of God, then Jesus comes along and preaches it again. And people are drawn to both of them, but John is always deferring to Jesus. But... John's been arrested because he said some really difficult things. He spoke truth to power and pointed out the sin of King Herod. And because he's arrested, because he's been imprisoned, he faces death because basically King Herod gets too drunk at a party and offers someone, you know, whatever wish they want, and their wish is for a violent, meaningless death for John the Baptist. And so he's beheaded. So Jesus gets this news that his cousin, a partner in ministry, has faced this death that should not have happened, that was really horrific. And Jesus, like us, reacts with that. I mean, Jesus is fully God. We know he's God's son. But Jesus is also a human being like us who had emotions like us. And so Jesus has grief. Grief over someone he loves. And so Jesus does what we might do in that same circumstance. He tries to find a place to be alone. Now, sometimes in our grief, we need other people, right? We need to be surrounded by people that we care about and love. But other times in the midst of our grief, what we need is just a few minutes to sort out our feelings, to think through what's going on, to to get adjusted to a new reality, And so he needed some time alone. So Jesus took off in a boat to a solitary place, but the people who had been following Jesus, the crowd, sort of watches where he's going, and they catch up to where he's going before he even gets there. 
And so this is what we read in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. Jesus is in the midst of all this grief, looking for a place to be alone, and we find this. Matthew 14, 14 says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Even in his grief, Jesus has compassion on the needs of other people. And he brought healing to them. And apparently, this went on for a while. Because it says that as evening was coming, I mean, it was time to sort of break up, do your own thing, everybody needs to go home. The disciples come and say just that. Jesus, listen, there's all these people. Later on in the story, you find there's 5,000 men, so there's probably 10,000 people. Jesus, there's a crowd here. It's time to eat. There is no way we can feed all these people people. There's no stores nearby. It's just not going to happen. And Jesus says, basically, oh, how much food do we have? And maybe you remember the story. The disciples say, the only food we can find in this whole crowd, nobody was coming out here expecting to stay all day. The only food that we can find is like a meal for a small family. Five loaves of bread, two fish. That's all we got. And here's Jesus standing before this crowd of 10,000 people who are hungry. And he's got enough to feed a few. What happens next? What happens in that situation? Maybe some of you remember. Verse 19. And he directed the people, Jesus, directed the people to sit down on the grass taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, most of us have heard this story before. We knew what was going to happen. We knew that Jesus was going to do something miraculous. He was going to start passing out food, and somehow, through the power of God, there would be enough to feed all of these people. Doesn't make sense. It would have really been enough to feed less than 1% of them. There's enough to feed all these people, and in the end, there is more left over than they started with. That math doesn't work, does it? But it's... It's a miracle. It's God at work. But here's what I notice in the story. Before the miracle, okay, we know what's going to happen, but those people standing there did not know what was going to happen. They're looking down at Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He gave thanks. Now, I'm looking down on Jesus thinking, I hope he's got more than that. Because that's not enough to give thanks for in my book. I'm standing in the middle of a crowd. I'm never going to get in line to, to get fed in this group. But Jesus gave thanks. Before he performs the miracle, before everyone sees what he had planned, Jesus gave thanks. When it was woefully short, 
Jesus still gave thanks. And I think there's a lesson in that as we see what Jesus did. I think there's a lesson for us that even when things seem woefully short, when life is really not where we want it to be, before we know what God's going to do in the future, when maybe it seems a little hopeless, we can give thanks. Now, what we want to do is wait for God to work everything out. What we want to do is sort of hold back and say, okay, God, you show me what you're going to do, and when you're done, man, I'm going to give you thanks for what you've done. But Jesus did that on the front end. When it seemed like there was no way to solve the problem in front of him. We don't know what God's going to do. And so the lesson for us is to give thanks in the good and the bad. Give thanks in good and bad. I think that's a powerful lesson for us because it changes the way we think about life and it changes the way we think about God and it changes the way we approach our problems and even our blessings because there's something more there than just thanking God for what we get from him. There's this sense of thanking God for all that he's doing even when we don't fully understand what he's going to do yet. You know, the truth is today... I can't multiply food. I can't make new cash. I can't solve all these problems. You can't solve all the problems that I have in my life. It just doesn't work that way. And the truth is God doesn't even promise that he's going to just make all of our problems disappear. We never get that, that, that promise in Scripture. What we say, what we get is that God is at work. And in the end, all things will be brought together. God's going to restore what he has created that we've messed up. But for this life, for the here and now, we never get that sense that God's just going to wipe all the problems away. So even in the midst of those problems, how do we find a way to give thanks? Even when we don't know what God is going to do with our problems and our challenges and our opposition and the stuff that we just don't understand, how do we we give thanks in the midst of that? I think we have to allow room for God to be at work in that. There's a great story from Corey Tinboom's book, The Hiding Place. Some of you know who she was. She was Dutch. Her family sheltered Jews during the Holocaust from the, the German authorities. In the end, they too were arrested, and she and her sister Betsy were sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. Now, you know, I mean, you can read the description there. I think it's still hard for me to imagine what that life must have been like must have been like. Uh, To imagine being treated the way that they were treated and knowing that people were dying all around them and to be forced to do the labor that they had to perform. And she tells about that. But she and her sister, her whole family, very strong Christians and And her sister was committed, her sister Betsy was committed, even in this concentration camp, to give thanks to God. She would say, give thanks for the food. It was not much food, but give thanks for the food. Give thanks for the fact that they were still alive. Give thanks for the small kindness of a few guards who who tried to, to care for them. All these things, give thanks for what God is doing through even the difficult things. And and Corey sort of pushed back against that. She wasn't ready to do that. And especially when her sister Betsy said, let's give thanks for the 
fleas that have infested the straw in our beds. Corey didn't want to give thanks for fleas. Well, their life there continued, and they had that hard labor that everyone was forced to do, but finally Betsy became too sick for that and was allowed to stay behind in their barracks and participate in the, the knitting circle. Everybody has to do some work to provide for, for the effort. And so she's forced to do that, but she gets increasingly sick and is almost unable to do that. But what they find is, for some strange reason, the guards never enter that barracks, so, so she can even lay down during the day and rest because no one's checking on them. And in the end, Betsy succumbs to all this, and, and she dies in the concentration camp. But what Corey found out later was the reason that the guards didn't enter the barracks during this difficult time was because of the fleas. The fleas that she didn't want to give thanks for. But in the end, it turned out to be a blessing. Again, I can't promise you that God's going to work out every one of your problems and make all the things that seem like a challenge today into a huge blessing. But I do know that God has this amazing way to carry us through and sometimes surprise us with his grace, surprise us with his presence. Corey's sister said this, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So no matter how bad it gets. No matter how much you may be struggling, the truth is God is still there and God is still present. So even in the good and the bad, we have a reason to give thanks because God is still there and God is still active and God has not forgotten us. And so we're called to give thanks in good and bad. Now, this week, you know, it may be that when your family or your friends get together, whatever it is, we'll all have different kinds of gatherings, I'm sure, that for you it may be that the people you gather with, man, it's a celebration. Because there's been some really good things that have happened this year. Somebody's had a baby, and it's great to see this new life. Or somebody got a promotion and things are awesome for their family. Maybe somebody bought a house and, and it's the first time the family's gathered in that place and they're sharing with everyone what's happening. Or maybe there's been a wedding and there's a new person in the family. and Hopefully you like that person, but you're all together, okay? It's a celebration. And you're giving thanks to God for what's happened. Then maybe... Maybe that's not where your family will be. Maybe it's a little harder because there's been some tough things that have happened this year. And it won't be so easy to, to give thanks. Let me encourage you to find ways to give thanks to a God who is present in both the great times in the difficult times so that you can give thanks to this God in both really good and maybe even this year in really bad because he's a God who is present and active and cares let's pray together God help us to give thanks
Sometimes it, we find it difficult. But we know that you're still at work. You still care. You still love us. So help us to respond to you in the right way, to show you just how thankful we are that you've given us life. You've guided us this far. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe today you've made the decision that it's time for you to be baptized into Christ. You, you know you have faith in Jesus Christ. You're ready to give your life to him, and, and we want to see that happen in baptism. We'd love to share with you in that. Or maybe you're a baptized believer and you want to be a member of our church. We'd love to talk with you about that and guide you through that process. If you've made either one of those decisions, come forward as we stand and sing our invitation today. Let's stand together.